Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. I'm your host, Rain Whalen. I'm joined again today by my good friend, Jeremy Blair. Hey, buddy. How's it going? And I'm not going to make as many puns now, um, but we are going to discuss, in my opinion, and I'm sure yours as well, one of probably the best movies from 1985. Oh, 1980s, 1990s. It's the best. It's one of the best movies of all time. I know. I... um, me and Ashley saw this movie on our anniversary at an Alamo Draft House. Those are the best. And uh, the announcer said how it is such a fantastic movie that they still study it today. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't figured out what we're talking about now, it's uh, Back to the Future. So before we really get into it, I just want to let everyone know that this is part one of a two-part episode where we're going to discuss Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3 Maybe not three well, as I mean, much. We'll, we'll mention three. Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm sure the listeners at home won't be able to see the to be concluded uh, after yeah. after this episode's over. Oh, so yeah. that'll, uh, I mean, we'll probably just say it out loud. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so so we, me and Jeremy have our notes because there's a lot we want to discuss about the movie and why uh, it's so perfect. And so this part is going to be all about the first one. Take a trip back. Oh boy! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, now, now it's going to start. Yeah, um, it's 1979. Okay, uh, I, I refer to them as the Bobs in all of my notes. The Bobs, yeah, because it's uh, Robert Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, and, Bob Zemeckis Gale. and Bob Gale. Yeah, uh, they just wrapped used cars. Yeah, um, which I have never seen. I have neither in the in the commentaries I listened to in preparation for this. They mention used cars, and I'm not kidding, at least 25 times. Really? In each I know they're like, oh, we worked on him on used cars. Oh, and then we did this right after we wrapped on used cars. I'm like, used cars? Who cares? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Thank so, you very much. Yeah. So uh, so used cars wraps, and Bob Gale uh, goes back to his childhood home and wherever Bob Gale is from. I should have written that down. But That's oh, well. We're going. And he was talking about uh, he found his dad's old yearbook, <laughs> and he, like, found a picture of his dad, and apparently his dad was, uh, like, class president. Mm-hmm. And he wondered, like, would he and his dad would have been uh, would have been friends, you know, because they went to the same high school, right? And I think, and I think everyone thinks that at one point, like, would I would have been friends with my parents? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I've thought about it before. I don't have any examples for you. Yeah, but no, I'm neither sure do I. About it. Um, <clears throat> and so, the uh, so after I guess Bob's. Um, home trip he meets back up with Zemeckis and tells him about this idea because uh, apparently they'd been like really wanting to do a time travel movie um, which I when I when I learned that I was like that's that's cool that they were really wanting to like do something like this but it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for Bob Gale having that kind of idea right we probably may have not even gotten the back to the future that we have now right exactly yeah. um so, so, so Bob, so Bob Gale tells Zemeckis this idea, mm-hmm. and Zemeckis loves it. Um, so, in case anyone didn't know, and I'm sure they figured by since we hadn't seen used cars, uh, it bombed in the box office. Yeah, they mentioned that too. Um, Columbia apparently loved it, even though it was a box office bomb for them. Um, and Columbia Pictures loved it so much that they told them that uh, the next idea that they have. Columbia wanted it. Mm-hmm. So so they were kind of, 
you know, they were kind of set with, okay, Columbia Pictures is going to make this movie. Um, and, you know, we were talking about it before we started recording about their writing process. Yeah. With the, the index card method. Yeah. Um, which I think you explain it a lot better than I do. Yeah, it was, you know, essentially they have they have an idea of what they wanted to take place in 1955. And so they would write down, okay, he has a he invents the skateboard <laughs> and has a chase with Biff. Okay, we'll put that on the board. All right, now we have to um, establish that he knows how to skateboard in 1985, right? Right. And so they have him skateboard to school on the back of uh, uh, cars and trucks yeah. and things. Yeah. Uh, which in in Australia, they had Michael J. Fox do a, um, a, a PSA uh, saying, don't do that. Really? <laughs> People in, uh, in Australia hadn't figured out you can do that yet. And so <laughs> it was blowing their minds. Um, so anyway, and then, you know, they wanted him, they wanted Marty to invent rock and roll. That's one of the, that's one of the main reasons they said it in 1955. Mm-hmm. Um, so the not, 1955 was not negotiable. Which, um, um, sidebar, uh, I watched that John Mulaney video you sent me. It's so great, right? And um, if anyone hadn't seen it, look it up on YouTube. Uh, John Mulaney explains Back to the Future. You should put the link in the description. That would be nice. I, w- I will do that. I will put the link in the description uh, because I love what he says about how they're like, yeah, we're going to apply that a white man wrote Johnny Be Good. <laughs> yeah, so let's take that away from a black person. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of what they – and they do mention that in the commentary that – you know, they just thought of it as a funny joke with um, with the Marvin uh, Marvin Barry the Marvin Barry band. Mm-hmm. You know, and him just you know being like, you know that sound you're looking, looking for. for? Right. Um, and by the way, the the Marvin Barry band is the setup to my favorite line in the whole movie, which is one of Biff's um, one of Biff's gang. Right. Uh-huh. After they put Marty in the trunk of the car, oh, and yeah. the band comes out. And he goes, "Hey, man, I don't want to mess no well, reefer addicts." The reefer, it's, it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> every time, and I've seen this movie like uh, you know a hundred times. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I have too. So right, so like I said, they they had they they knew what they wanted 1955 to look like, mm-hmm. and the entire reason Marty has siblings was because of the big gap between writing it and making it was. Marty didn't have any siblings in the original, but it was 1980. Right. When they said it in 1985, they needed to justify his parents being in high school in 1955. Right. So they give him two older siblings. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I feel like it wouldn't it wouldn't have played as well if it was just Marty by himself. Yeah, and also they would have been, you know, his parents would have been too young yeah. to have been in high school in 1955. So anyway. Yeah. Um, so. Right, so the the setting up in this movie and the in the other sequels are full of exposition and setup and follow through. So mm-hmm. the reason this movie gets studied a whole lot is because they they set something up, they set him up with the skateboard, they set him up with learning how to play the guitar. He knows how, right? Right. We know because he was uh, shut down by Huey Lewis himself uh, yeah. for the uh, you're, band. You're just, you're just too darn loud. You're just too darn loud, right? Um, <laughs> and um, which is him inventing quote uh, rock and roll in 1955. So right, um, that's kind of how they they wrote this, or at least most of it. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So so they do that, and I don't know when they complete the first draft. I don't really know. I can tell. Um, but they complete the second draft in '81, 
But Columbia uh, passed on it because Columbia wanted, uh, at that time, raunchier comedies, which... I'm hard pressed not to really like really remember any raunchier comedies from Columbia in the eighties. I don't know. What was Animal House? Was, was Animal it? House Columbia? No, no, no. Maybe they wanted one because they were. Because I don't think it is. I think Animal House is. I feel like Animal House. Yeah. Um, but I think that's why they they knew how explosively popular these uh, raunchy comedies were, and they're like, we want one. Right. And then they saw this and it's like, well, he only gets to first base with his mom. Forget it. <laughs> Not raunchy enough. Um, but what was great is, you know, they had Steven Spielberg in their corner. Mm-hmm. And Steven, uh, he loved the idea. But apparently all the projects the Bobs had worked on with Spielberg mm-hmm. had tanked. Yeah. Like and 1941. That's a, that's a big one. That's a big box office bomb. Yeah. And so they, I, rem- I remember watching uh, all the, when they were kind of looking back and they felt like Steven had become kind of like a, uh, a bad omen because yeah. they were like, we don't want to be seen as the guys with their pal Steven who just makes crappy movies. Right. So they kind of, they kind of worded it to Steven as like, you know, no offense, but we may not want to use you. And right. apparently Spielberg was super like, I understand. I get that. Um, and I think the other thing about it, why they were having so much trouble um, with when they took it to other studios mm-hmm. is that Bob Zemeckis had no real like professional credits per, right. per se. Um, did you read why Disney passed on it? Uh, because it was ridiculous then that uh, it was incest yeah because he got to first base with his mom it was the it was the opposite of Columbia you know Columbia's like it's not it's not raunchy enough and And Disney's like are you out of your mind it is you're crazy right so yeah yeah. Um, but uh, Robert Zemeckis directed the the gym pun intended romancing the stone oh boy <laughs> oh Christ <laughs> which apparently was uh, was great and then studios started to be like okay this uh, this Robert Zemeckis guy he did that we want whatever he's doing and apparently from what I uh, watched and read it had nothing to do with the writing it all had to do with the fact that Zemeckis made a successful movie mm-hmm. so it had yeah. nothing to do they didn't care about the actual story no. they just wanted a successful director yeah um, and so they go back to Spielberg mm-hmm. and they're like, do you still want to do this? And Spielberg was like, of course, I still want to, I still want to make this with you guys. And Spielberg, you know, had a good relationship with Universal. Mm-hmm. And so he took them to Universal and Universal was like, done. Yes. Let's, yeah. let's make this movie. Um, oh, did he, uh, did he make a, a movie for Universal? I'm just kidding. It was Indiana yeah. Jones. No, <laughs> that was Paramount. Paramount? Paramount that was Indiana Paramount? Jones. Oh, boy. Uh, E.T., bro. Oh, E.T. <laughs> a, a movie I do not care for very much. Oh, dude. You uh, which just, is true. Oh, dude. You, the entire audience e. is just like yelling at you now. Oh, I'm sorry. The four people who listen to this and Joel <laughs> Schumacher. I'm so sorry. Yes, that, yes. Uh, thank you for listening, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, I'm so sorry that, uh, <laughs> that I don't like E.T. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, 
Well, and you know, me and Ashley rode the ET ride at Universal Studios, oh, yeah? which it was awesome. Um, well, so did, um, you know that uh, Michael J. Fox was their first choice for, yes. for Marty? Um, and do you know why? Uh, all the well, I'm sure you do. I don't know why I'm asking. Uh, you know, all the trouble that they went through trying to get him. Ugh, family um, ties, man. Yeah, Gary Goldberg, creator of Family Ties. Listen, um, Family Ties, <sighs> I mean, TV schedules in general are crazy. Right? Yeah, oh, People especially, usually don't do two things at once. Right. Right. They usually wait for their hiatus to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, the shooting schedule for Back to the Future was the shooting schedule for family times during the same time oh yeah because i found out that um universal even though they were sold they're like okay well it needs to be done by this day right and you know most from what i understand about movie making today most studios will work with the production like okay like yeah we'll shoot for this time but if you can't make it we'd rather not push it back but we might be able to push it back i feel like that i feel like this still doesn't happen very often yeah i know um and so uh, Gary Goldberg, creator of Family Ties, um, couldn't release Michael from his contract. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, from his contract, per se, to go and do Back to the Future. And so because of it, um, I guess some people out there may say it's his fault, but uh, Michael J. Fox did Teen Wolf instead. Yeah, because Teen of Wolf. It. Uh, which, I mean, I love Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf is great. I mean, it's a, it is a staple of the 80s just as much as Back to the Future, but... If nothing else, because of the van surfing, bro. Yeah. The van surfing is sweet. I know. And people were killing themselves because of it. I'm sure my... I wonder if Michael J. Fox had to do another PSA about that. I doubt it, because it's too badass. <laughs> you can't undercut it with a PSA. Um, so, because uh, Gary Goldberg wouldn't let uh, Michael J. Fox go... Um, Call back to our first episode together. They got Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz. Uh, which, uh, if anyone remembers us talking about Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future briefly, uh, we're going to talk about it more now. Um, Welcome back, by the way. Yes. Uh, I, like, as we kind of talked about in Pulp Fiction, you know, I love Eric Stoltz. I think he's a fantastic actor. Yeah, he's great. Um, and all the stuff I watched when they were talking about Eric being on production... They said he was great, that he he was nailing it, and but the thing that w- they were having a hard time with was was his comedic timing, mm-hmm. which is so crazy to think about now because if you watch Pulp Fiction, he's fucking hilarious in Pulp Fiction. He's, and he's not supposed to be, but for me, he's so funny. I think he's pretty funny in uh, Rules of Attraction too. So if you haven't seen Rules of Attraction, definitely check that out because okay. he's great in that. Okay. Um, so, so Eric Stoltz gets cast as Marty McFly, and things are going decently, but they're just—it's not—they're not getting the comedy that they wanted. Right. Um, so five weeks into production, Robert Zemeckis goes to Universal and is like, "Hey, um, I need y'all to be okay with me shutting down production because we need to redo this." And uh, even with their already tight schedule as it was. Yeah. So apparently Universal was just kind of like, okay. Like, okay. They probably just heard Michael J. Fox and they go, okay. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and so so they go back to Gary Goldberg and they're like, is is there any way we can get Michael to come and do this? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and I already knew this, but I, I refreshed myself. Uh, Gary Goldberg said he was going to let Michael make the decision, but if Michael chose to do it, Family Ties came first. Right. Um, and and Michael uh, Michael talked about uh, going into Gary's office and Gary handing him the script to Back to the Future. And uh, Gary's like, you know, there, there's this movie they want you to do. And of course, I'm sure Michael knew what it was. At that time, he did because they were filming down the street from, from Team, Team Wolf. Wolf. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he was like, you know, they want you to do it. I'm leaving the decision up to you. Just read the script and then get back to me. And people aren't going to see what I'm going to do. But apparently, uh, Michael, like, held the, held the manila envelope with the script in his hands like... It's the best script I've ever read. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And so for the entire shoot of Back to the Future, he would go and film Family Ties. And then uh, Universal or whoever would send a car that they like retrofitted with a mattress in the back for him to sleep. Yeah. Drive him to set, film Back to the Future. And then they would drive him home and he would wake up and just do the whole thing over again. And then Saturdays he was Back to the Future's. Um, for every Saturday, which is how they got the daytime shots uh, for yeah, the whole movie. Yeah, because I was wondering about that because they didn't talk about that because it seemed like all he was shooting was nighttime stuff. Right, and that was during the week. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and so, you know, they, they reshot the entire first week, uh, five weeks of uh, Eric Stoltz's that shoot. Eric Stoltz footage. Um which you can find every you just Google Eric Stoltz Back to the Future and there's videos and pictures and yeah yeah all that good stuff, um, and so now I, I really want to talk about the rest of the casting, uh, mainly more so uh, Marty's counterpart Doc Brown Christopher Lloyd Christopher Lloyd uh, he he wasn't interested in it at all apparently um, he from what I saw is he got the script. Because his agent said, I think this would be good for you. He read it and just wasn't interested. Just like, I don't, I don't really get this. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know. And what I didn't know is uh, Christopher Lloyd was a stage actor. Yes, I did. I did not know that. Um, I mean, (laughs) but I did. They they mentioned it in the the commentary. I'm sorry. Um, But apparently his agent was like, no, trust me, reread it and then get back to me. And apparently, I guess, uh, from what I understand, Chris, like, really sat down, really, like, got into it and realized, like, oh, yeah. Like, it was interesting that he used Einstein and Stokowski yeah. as inspirations. Um, he uh, loves classical music. Yeah, which, I mean, makes sense. But, the you know, he, he – one of the things he mentioned was that Doc Brown was always in um, – like a state of shock mm-hmm. about everything, you know, you know 1.21 gigawatts. And, yep. um, and something he mentioned is that like, there's always a crisis. Doc right. is always yep. in a crisis. Poor Doc. Um, I know we go from 1985 doc who, uh, gets shot by Libyans, which I, I want to touch on a little bit later to 1955 doc who doesn't know what to do. Cause he's in 1955. Right. And doesn't have the same technology. It's Yeah. Um, gigawatts is actually mispronounced, by the way. It's, really? It's gigawatts. Gigawatts. It's a okay. hard G. Gotcha. When they were doing their research, someone had mispronounced it to them, and they thought that that was how you're supposed to say it. And so they wrote it in as gigawatts. They actually wrote it in the script with a J, and it's gigawatts. It's uh, 
Ah, okay. it's like a thousand, it's like a million watts. Even though, like, I'm pretty Is sure, and I know you judge me for it, but I think I'm pretty sure if you turn on the subtitles, it's spelled G with a G. Yeah. Uh, which is weird, even though... Well, because that's the way it's supposed to be. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a gigawatt with a um, hard G. And then and then uh, the the last thing I really want to touch on before we really, like, actually get into the the movie part of it. Yeah. I really wanted to, you know, discuss the production side. I understand. Um, is the time machine wasn't originally supposed to be a car. Right. Um, I remember... Some crewmen saying that, like, they had a refrigerator, like a chamber kind of thing mm-hmm. in mind. And, you know, that kind of works, you know, like Doctor Who, I guess. But they really, they realized that it had to be mobile. Mm-hmm. Like, it had to really go. Um, and I learned that uh, apparently Michael J. Fox hated it. Hated the DeLorean. Yeah, it's it breaks down all the time. It's uncomfortable. It's too low to the ground. Uh, it's, it's a terrible car. One of the things he said was every time you'd go to shift the gears, he'd pretty much punch the time circuits and it would cut his knuckles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't blame him for that. Uh, but yeah, so now I uh, – and I'm sure you, you are. You're ready to really like get into the like actual movie side – yeah, uh, I have a lot of references they made and things like that. So yeah, let's so go. So I guess we can just it. start it with the opening sequence, which is probably, in my opinion, one of the best beautifully shot opening sequences, and it tells you so much. The clocks about and the, the gadgets, movie, right? The clocks yeah. and the gadgets. Yes, with the the Rube Goldberg device. Yeah, um, and and it it wasn't until way later when I was older um, that I realized they are in those in that entire sequence they are foreshadowing the entire well not the entire movie but they are foreshadowing a lot of events Mm -hmm. that we're going to see and that they're going to go back and touch up on right they got that safety last clock in there with the guy hanging off of the uh, Uh one of the the, the hands? The hands on the, right. Hands yeah. on the face of the clock. And it's from a, a silent film, uh, Safety Last. And, okay. um, and so that foreshadows, you know, Doc, mm-hmm. you know, being stuck up there. Yeah. Um, but it is the, the clocks is a reference to the time machine. Okay. Um, obviously the original because the remake hadn't come out yet. Um, with, with all the clocks and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, the gadgets really let you know who Doc is, right? Mm-hmm. Even though we don't see him for 20 minutes. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole the whole first, yeah, I would say 20 minutes in the movie, it's all Marty. It's like which, 19 minutes and something seconds. Which, I, I should have wrote it down. Uh, one of my favorite lines in that movie, or, well, not really in the movie itself, but uh, a, a great, um, just a great line. Like, Are you, you mean to tell me it's 825? Damn! I'm late for school. How did he not know what time it was? There were I'm, clocks everywhere. I know. But they were wrong. So I'll give yeah. him that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I feel like that the entire opening sequence sets us up for what we're about to experience, you know? I mean, in everything, even to the, the him hooking the guitar up to the mm-hmm. amps, which I was telling you off mic, but one of the dials has CRM114. Uh, which is on one of the dials of the airplane in Doctor Strange Love, and they love oh, Doctor yeah. Strange Love, and so they 
they threw that little piece in there to see if you were paying attention. Yeah, which I'm going to be honest, I didn't know until you told me. Yeah, so. that's fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember the first time I ever saw Back to the Future, my dad said he, uh, when he was in the 80s, he always wanted one of those guitars. Yeah. A little. Yeah, it's a little bitty tiny thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it has a name, but I don't. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Didn't even think about it. Um, and then, you know, Marty leaves and he goes into the center of town, which I love that they took a risk with the the this town center because um, it's shot on a back lot. Right. The, the square is shot on a back mm-hmm. lot. And they, I mean, God, I mean, we'll get into it in the sequels. They didn't do it as much in the sequels because they didn't have time. Yeah. But in this one, they really changed every single little thing mm-hmm. from... 85 to 55. Yeah, they they shot the 50s first. They shot everything that had to be done in the 50s first. Yeah. And then shot the 80s because they could really dirty it up and dingy it up. and Right. Uh, you know, because they said it would be harder to do the flip side. To do, clean it. Do, yeah, do 80s, <laughs> then clean Yeah. Um, but what I think is why, why I said they took a risk is because... You know, no one had shot on a back lot in some time. And what Zemeckis said is the reason that why they chose to shoot on a back lot uh, was because, you know, in the 50s, they shot on back lots all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why the style looks like it's shot on a back lot because 50s movies were shot on back lots. Right. I feel like that was such a big risk at, in, in the 80s, especially to shoot. You know, I mean, a good portion of the movie happens in that square. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. So, in preparation for this, you know, we we both rewatched all three movies. Well, I did. I know you only watched the first two. Yeah, and some of the third. I mean, give me some credit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first fifteen minutes <laughs> is it nothing rain? <laughs> um. So you mean just when Marty's still in the fifties? Oh yeah. No, we had not gotten anywhere near the old uh, west yet. <laughs> uh, we will discuss more when we get to part two. Uh, but you watched it with the commentary on. Yeah. What? Um. What about it? Um. Did like did some? Did they get Crispin Glover for the commentary? No. Oh, could you imagine? Yeah. I mean, no. This is. Uh, it was recorded in two thousand two. Oh okay. Um. So this was quite a bit afterward. They actually couldn't get uh, Zemeckis for. One of the commentaries. Really? It was just Bob and Neil. Um, okay. I forgot his last name. He was one of the um, one of the producers on it. But uh, they brought up some really cool stuff. So they brought up with the the product placement. Mm-hmm. They chose products that had significantly changed their logo from 1955 to 1985. That's right. Yeah, so you I, can tell. Yeah. You know? I remember uh, Bob Gell saying that's why they went with Pepsi. Right. Because Pepsi had a completely different logo in the 50s versus the 80s as were, he said, like, unlike like Coca-Cola, it's the same logo. It's the exact same. I mean, even the bottle's the same. Right. Yeah. So you couldn't do that. And there's a really cool, funny gag where... <laughs> Marty's trying to twist off oh, yeah, the and, Pepsi yeah. bottle. Yeah, and, and George is... She goes, hey, God, here. You know? Yeah. Um, and that that's so funny. Anyway, they um, they also mentioned... Uh, they did mention Crispin, and that, that guy is a lunatic yeah, on wheels. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to what happened with him in part two, but yeah. Um, I mean, even in this one, even in this one, he was trying some stuff, and then like, Crispin, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you uh, Michael... 
So Michael apparently, I guess, was his biggest fan. Like Michael and the special features I, of the, that I watched, Michael loved Crispin Glover. Mm-hmm. Like said that he loved working with him, um, and that one scene he was like with a broom, and I can't remember what 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 Crispin said in front of Michael, but he pretty much was like trying to work the scene with the broom, and they're mm-hmm. like, "But you don't need the broom. Yeah, Just work the scene." And I mean. <laughs> Crispin Glover, I feel like is. <laughs> I mean, he the plays dude's, the dude's nuts, but he, I mean, he's he's lovable nuts. I think. Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like, and I, I'm probably gonna like really maybe shoot myself in the foot here, but I feel like any other movie I've seen him in, I haven't seen him act this well like in Back to the Future. In Back to the Future, I feel like he's really dialed into the character of George yeah. McFly. Uh, because the only other movie I've seen him in, well, I've seen him in a few, um, but like, I'm sure you probably don't remember this movie, uh, Like Mike from like the early 2000s. I do remember that. Oh, and he was. Um, he, he was the the orphanage like director. Yes. Who was a douchebag. Oh, I do remember that. He was who, also in Charlie's like, Angels. Who like, oh yeah, I was going to bring up Charlie's Angels, yeah. but I didn't want you to judge me. <laughs> yeah, he was, the, he was the, his character name was Creepy Thin Man. Yeah, that was that was his character name, who didn't talk. He just screamed. Yeah, smelled um, hair. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but but like when you when you look at those movies and go back and watch Back to the Future, I feel like it's a. I mean, he's still the same guy, but like I feel like his acting is so much different in a good way for Back to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future, I think, is one of his better works, for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, sure. And one of his best laughs, because uh, yeah. I, I uh, wanted to bring that up. Uh, one of the best laughs uh, that I've ever heard, ever, just... Because uh, 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 it's just, a, just so through the roadie laugh. Yeah. And his mouth would, it makes it... Ten times funnier. Just this, this gaping, like, trout mouth. Just, mm-hmm. ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> um, Oh, when they're watching Jackie Gleason. Yes. <laughs> and, and he's and he's eating uh, the peanut brittle out of the bowl like yeah. it's fucking cereal. Yeah. Like, and he offers it to, and I swear to God, if I learned that that, line, that scene was improvised where he offers it to Marty and the look well, of just sheer. No, well, here's why. So that scene is actually, um... That scene is actually a lot longer. Really? Um, and that they had they had, had a Girl Scout come to the door and George bought a whole case of peanut brittle. Oh, Jesus. And so when he was eating the, the the peanut brittle, he handed it to Marty and just he's so ashamed because his dad's such a pushover. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, that that whole scene is is great of of like you know, he comes home, Biff's wrecked the car. That he's yeah. going to, you know, take Jennifer. Well, in his defense, I mean, Biff wasn't told about the blind spot that's in the car, yeah. which is in every car. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you would lend me a car without telling me yeah, without there's the, a blind spot. There's a blind spot in the car. I mean, I could have been killed. All right. <laughs> who's who's going to pay for my dry cleaning? That's <laughs> about uh, beer. Which, oh, oh which I really <laughs> wanted to bring up that uh, everyone said that uh, Thomas uh, Tom Wilson is just like, the biggest teddy bear. Yeah, he's the nicest guy in the world, um, and he is playing this horrible, horrible man. I know, especially. Uh, and uh, I'm really gonna lay into him in part when we get to part two. Um, <laughs> but you know, in in that scene, so you know, Marty comes home, Biff's wrecked the car, mm. and he's watching his dad be just beat up emotionally and physically 
by Biff, you know, who's, you know, threatening him and 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 Marty knows his dad's a pushover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite lines he says to him is, you know, like, I know what you're going to say. And you're right. You're right. You're right. And in the fact that and Poor see, and, and that kind of proves. But, yeah, you know, I, I feel like that proved like the Bob's writing that they wrote this character with so much depth that he knew that he wasn't a hero in his son's eyes. Right, exactly. Um, and, and I want to touch on that later about the genre of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Leah Thompson as Marty's mom. I love Leah Thompson. As do I. And uh, I have to go ahead and point this out now. I was watching the special features and she was talking about the whole, you know, mom crushing on the son thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I I wrote this down in my notes as she loved the fucked up part of it. Yeah. It's because she did. She loved that it was so, like, disturbed that yeah. the mom was in love with the son. Right. Yeah. Um, and even Michael J. Fox said how, like, you know, there's innocence to that because, you know, she doesn't know that that's her son. Right. Yeah. She doesn't know. Um, but her the the uh, original, you know, 1980s version of his mom, you know, is stuck in this unhappy marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, three kids, and it just is An unhappy. Alcoholic. alcoholic, yeah. That's why her face is so puffy in the in the first part. Their, her makeup is it makes her. Uh, uh, her face will be puffy because she's an alcoholic. That so. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I, I just think they they wrote that version. I mean, the, the whole movie is just written great, right? But yeah. like really setting up where Marty's at in his life in 1985, and not just that, but I mean the whole kitchen dining room scene in the beginning is all set up. That will be, it's all exposition, really. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it doesn't seem too clunky is just a testament to the writing. Oh, yeah. Like, even the, and they had mentioned it in the commentary that the, that Uncle Joey didn't, yeah. didn't jailbird Joey. Right, yeah. Um, that the cake was funny enough that he thought <coughs> that was it. It was just a throwaway gag. Yeah. Right? And um, and it was later paid off with get use of these bars. Get use of these yeah. bars. Kid. Yeah. And yeah. then he loved being in his playpen with all the bars. Yeah. Um, so that whole that whole scene is so heavy with exposition, but it doesn't feel like it. Right? Oh, yeah. Because we do get her to talk about the enchantment under the sea dance, which I think is probably the most forced out of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It's but it still works. Like it's not you're you're not like ugh. Yeah, and yeah. and and you said it perfectly. Like yeah, they they the whole testament to the writing is they pay everything off. Everything gets paid off. Yeah, and kind of talk what we were talking about earlier with the the the, the index cards. You know, yeah, they couldn't have paid everything off if they didn't figure out how it would connect together. Right. Um, and so. One of the uh, so then you know so Marty goes and meets Doc at the Twin Pines Mall. Twin Pine at this point. Yes, which uh, I I love that that gets paid off, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and you know, and the DeLorean comes out, and Doc sends Einstein back uh, just over a minute. All right. So I have a lot to say about the Einstein going back or going to the future. A whole minute in the future. All yes. Right? Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it in part two, but uh, for Back to the Future part two. 
uh, because you know it's it's a minute in real time for Marty and for Doc. Right? Yeah, so we see them live out that minute. Right, we see them live out the minute, which I have a lot to say about the thirty years into the future and should they even exist in the future. But anyway, we'll we'll get to that. That's yeah. a time travel paradox. Um, but let's let's talk real quick about the time machine itself, the DeLorean. Yeah. So when they designed it, they made it look super dangerous. Yes. It's not supposed to look slick or clean because it look it needs to look like Doc built in his garage. Yes, yes. They say that, that, that like, you know, what what would he use if he went to like a junkyard or something? Yeah. Um and uh <clears throat> and then of course, you know, the whole uh plutonium aspect yeah. of it. Very eighties trope, you know. It is pretty eighties, yeah. yeah. And they said that it they they had someone educate them about plutonium and it was actually packaged like that really it wasn't necessarily red but it, it does come in a suitcase like that and it comes in a little vial like that so that part was actually really correct okay um, but it plutonium's not red no. and then the damn libyans yeah. show up the libyan yeah the libyans which you know again a testament to the the fact the movie was made in 1985 we have reagan in office yeah which um, Reagan loved the movie. Oh, he, and he laughed so hard at that joke that we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. Which is my one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, we're we're coming off the... Um, it was the tail end of the Cold War, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Um, and, mid, and, and, and America wasn't dealing with, like, a lot of terrorists. I mean, we were dealing with terrorist threats, but mm-hmm. not nothing on the scale of what happens in, you know, 2001. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Libyans show up and, uh, you know, is, is kind of the reason the, the act they're, they're showing up is the reason Marty ends up going back accidentally, mm-hmm. yeah. which is, <clears throat> which is something I love about the time travel movie is, you know, most time travel movies, they're deliberate. Like I'm deliberately going back or right. going forward uh, and I'm pointing. They talked direction. about that in the commentary that it absolutely had to be on accident. Yeah. And it, it took him a while to figure out how to do it, how to get him there on accident. Yeah. 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 Because I feel like if he didn't see Doc die, mm-hmm. if the Libyans weren't chasing him around the parking lot, there probably would have been no way. I don't think Marty would have actually considered, I need to go back to the past or, or and save Doc or something. Right. I mean, it was all just, you know, he wasn't even meaning to do it then. Right. Yeah. I he, mean, was, he, he was just he trying to get away. Right. And, okay, I got to get out of here. Um, <clears throat> sidebar, do you know why they chose 88 miles per hour? I actually did not. Because I know they said they could, they probably never got it up to 88 miles an hour. <laughs> they they chose 88 because it's easy to remember. That's why I mean, they chose it's, it. It's true. It's I easy mean, to remember. Um, you'll, you'll always know how fast they need to go to go and use that time machine to, yeah. to get the flux capacitor to light up. Yeah. It needs to be 88. And, and something else that I really loved about how they wrote the time machine is they didn't want it to be this long journey through time. They wanted it to be instant. Exactly. So yeah. as soon as Marty hits it, hits 88, he's there. He's there. And he, um, and he hits that scarecrow and he's in the farm country, which Doc mentions just minutes before. Yes. Right? Yes. And uh, it's in it's all, exposition. All farmland as far as yeah. the eye could see. Yeah. And Old it's, man Peabody. And it's exposition, right? In mm-hmm. quotes. Um, but with with Christopher Lloyd saying it, yeah. it doesn't sound like exposition, right? Yeah, it sounds like it, it uh, uh, that Doc is just remembering. Right, and he's got that look in his eyes, and you're just like, oh, he's off on a tangent again. You yeah. Know? Um, 
So let's talk about that it does move through time but not space. Yes. So this is an H.G. Wells thing as well. This is a mm. time machine thing where the time machine in the time machine uh, is stationary. It doesn't move. Right. right. Which means it literally just moves through time. It doesn't move through space. So in other time travel movies, they'll take off in New York and end up in like 18th century Rome. It's like, how do they do that? You know, yeah. they were in New York. So this is takes that idea where, and we see it, um, when he goes back to 1985 that he he's about to hit the movie theater and he goes back he goes back to the future and then he hits the movie theater because mm-hmm. that movie theater didn't move right yes. um, so it's it's the moving through time but not space yeah it, it, you know like like um, like another 80s movie uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ah, Bill and Ted. I do love this um, Bill and Ted. Uh, which three is filming right oh, now. Boy. I can't wait for it. <laughs> Ashley judges me. But, yeah, um, I am a little bit there. But, you know, the phone booth, mm-hmm. you know, it comes and goes as it pleases. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I like that they just, they mainly focused on the time aspect right. of it. Um, which we'll get into more with uh, part two, discussing part two and part three. Yeah. Um. And so, and I, and I love the the special effects that they were coming up for. They're like, you know, we want it to be ripping through the time space continuum. We want it right. to look like this is trying to go through it rather than, oh, like a bubble or something, you know. Right. Um, and one thing before we move, so I forgot <laughs> to mention this. So one of the judges... Um, when they're playing for Huey Lewis, right? mm-hmm. Huey Lewis is one of the judges for the band or whatever for the dance. I guess yeah, Battle of the Bands or something. Yeah, yeah. It was something weird. Uh, the judge on the very far right. So if you're looking at the screen, it's your far right. Okay. Okay. Uh, he is a character actor who's in a lot of Darren Aronofsky movies. Okay. So he was the man on the train singing in Pie. Uh, he was in the ass to ass scene in Requiem for a Dream. He's actually <laughs> the one that mentions it. Uh, and he is one of the patrons at the um, at the opening gala uh, for Black Swan. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's been in a lot of other things, but you know, if you're a huge Aronofsky guy, take a look at that. It's going to blow your mind because you're going to know exactly who that is. Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to mention <laughs> that because it's on my notes and I haven't checked it off yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but so, so Marty, you know, he gets back to 1985, which. Um, Again, you know, accidental. You know, he turns on the time circuits, and that was the last uh, time. 55. Yeah, 1955 that Doc yeah. puts in. November 5th, 1955. November 5th, that's right. Um, a red letter date. Oh, uh, boy. And um, one of my, uh, you know, so he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> you know, they all think he jumped ship. Because of his life preserver. His life. Again, one of my favorite. My mom and my dad, we quote this movie all the time. All right. So anytime I see someone wearing a puffy vest, and if they're with me, we go, <laughs> what's this guy, jump ship? What's up with the life preserver? It's the greatest. I feel like I wore a puffy vest in front of you. I don't ever remember wearing one, but I feel like you said that to me. Oh, absolutely. Because it's something I do just inherently. I also, when I have a revelation... And I'll go, oh, I'll say, Mayor, <laughs> I like the sound of that. I will do it every time. That, and that's uh, that's one of my favorite scenes to quote while I'm watching. Like, you think I'm going to be sucking this diner? That's right. He's going to be mayor. Gonna be- yeah. 
mayor. <laughs> right. And it's in any time I go, oh, I always say it right afterward. Um, it's inherent. It's in my vernacular for life. And that's and that's another one of my favorite scenes when Marty's in the diner and, you know, he's asking uh, Lou for help. And Lou's like, are you going to pay for something? And he's like, and, you know, and he still hasn't quite comprehended what's happened. Right. And so he's like, uh, yeah, give me a tap. <laughs> which, which, if no one knows, because uh, tab is irrelevant now. Uh, there was a drink in the eighties, and it was actually almost irrelevant then. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, but it was such a good joke they couldn't they couldn't leave it out. And then, uh, well, then uh, Pepsi free. If you want a Pepsi, you're gonna pay for it. Yeah. Just give me something without any sugar. Something without sugar in it. Uh, right. Just black um, coffee. Here's something that I think about every time I watch that scene is. Lou never gives him shit for ripping a page out of the phone book. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. he even shows him and goes, hey, man, where's this at? And he's like, dude, you're showing him you ripped a page out of the phone book. Don't yeah, after yeah, like, he very sneakily like. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, you're not going to say anything. Also, the blocking in that scene is awesome. Because when we're looking at Marty, Lou is blocking. George. Literally with his body. George. Yes. Right. Um. And it was George, it was Crispin's idea to eat cereal like that. The, which, the whole. If you know anything about eating on camera, is you're not supposed to do that much. Like you can't put a mouthful because you're going to be doing it all day long. You know? Yeah. So because yeah, they got to redo the scene, he was going for it, dude. Like he's doing huge spoonfuls of cereal, and he's, <laughs> I guess, a maniac. <laughs> um. And then, uh, and then Biff shows up, young Biff. Oh, Biff! And uh, and we talked, to, and we both, you know, high fived about this. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. I, it's in my notes. Billy Zane. Um, I saw I saw an article that someone put. Um, uh, I, I skimmed over. As soon as I got to this part, I was like, "Yeah, I'm done with this." Uh, it was comparing Eric Stoltz's scenes that he oh, filmed okay. to to Michael J. Fox's, and they said that Billy Zane wasn't in the scene when Michael J. Fox took over, and was like, "No, he's still in the scene." Like the specific shot okay. that they were using, I guess he was behind because Billy Zane wasn't at the school when um, when Biff confronts him in the cafeteria or whatever and they're, they're about to fight and then Strickland comes up. That's right. Yeah, he's yeah, not. Billy Zane's not there. He wasn't there that day. But he does show up at the dance. So, he, so he's in the diner scene. Well, he's in both diner scenes. Yeah. And he shows up at the dance. God. Um, but Billy Zane. With his, with his uh, toothpick. With his toothpick. Yeah. And he says nothing. He just stands there. Yeah. Um, he talks a lot more in the in part two. Yeah. With with uh, his, his three lines. Yeah. Which with we'll, his cowboy hat and boots. Yeah, and it's still this toothpick. In his gut. Yeah, which we'll, we'll get into more. Right. Um, and so, uh, and so that's when Marty really see really is. You can see him. You see, you see the wheels turning. Like, okay, something's not right here. Right. Because he's seeing his dad, and he knows that's his dad. Right. Um, you're George McFly. Yeah. What? <laughs> that was that was pretty good. Uh. Oh, I know. that's that's got another one of my favorite lines in that diner scene when uh when he doesn't see that George left. Yeah. And he Yeah. Hey, Dad, George, hey you on the bike. You on the bike. Um so going into when he finds out his dad's a peeping Tom, right? Oh yeah. Um oh when in to this day, it makes me shiver. Um the sound of Marty's head hitting the pavement. Oh, God. Oh, and they mention it in the commentary. Just the, the, just the, 
they said that's the best sound effect they got in the whole movie, and it makes me cringe every time, dude, because I can I can feel it, dude. I know his head hitting the pavement twice because he hits it and then he and, he, and then it he, bounces and he taps it again. Yeah, and that little tap, oh god, I know it gets me every time. And if if people are actually listening to this nonsense, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it is a huge part of the movie oh yeah and um yeah which i love that scene too where he's so he somehow catches up to george has george riding on a bike yeah um well because he's up in the tree yeah and um he uh and that's when he sees like oh, he's a peeping Tom. He's a peeping Tom. Well, which, which is a is a callback to that. This is probably my favorite George McFly line is when um, they're they're telling the kids. Right. No, I know exactly. And, <laughs> and she's like, "What were you doing, George? Bird watching? What the rain? What? Like, <laughs> I fucking love that. I don't know why." <laughs> Just his, and he's like breathing, like like he knows he did something wrong. Like right. what, Lorraine? What? Like it's, I love it so much. But um, yeah. but yeah, you know. So learning, uh, you know, I feel like that would have been a shock. Learning uh, that his dad was a peeping tom thirty yeah, years his dad ago. That was gross. Um, well, then it gets more gross. It does get a little uh, more gross. Waking up in his mom's bedroom. Yeah. 1955 uh, without his pants on. Yeah. And um, uh, that's another one of my favorite. Uh, it's probably my favorite shocked line. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you're my mom. Like, oh, I'm Lorraine. Yeah, yeah. But you're so. Uh, and, you, and you know he wants to say hot. Yeah. Thin. <laughs> Uh, and it just I love it because it, I don't think there's been a better reaction if if someone asks me where something is eight out of ten times I'll say it's there on my hope chest I'll say it every, <laughs> I'm telling you man I quote this movie all the time on my hope chest on my hope chest um, <laughs> um and then uh then that, that goes to the part where you know he, fi- he finally meets his uncle Joey yeah because the, they imply the that bar. they've never Met their uncle Joey, have yeah, they? I I don't remember. I feel like it was implied, or at least they don't really know him that well, right? You know, he's obviously he's a, he's a criminal. <laughs> he's always in jail, so yeah. Um, not enough time to meet him. And then uh, that has another. Uh, has my favorite scene with her dad, with uh, Marty's grandfather, yeah. where he's trying to figure out where uh, Doc lives, and he's like, "Do you do you know where?" Uh, May, um, you know, this street, I can't remember Doc's address. Oh, JFK. And he's like, yeah, it's a block past Maple. Maple, that's John F. Kennedy Road. Yeah. Who the hell is John F. Kennedy? Who the hell is John F. Kennedy? <laughs> <laughs> um, but then we get to the, uh, I'm going to kind of jump over their the first meeting with Doc. Okay. And the mind reading device. Which that's is so funny. It's so funny. Where he continuously tells Marty, no, not a word. Not a word. I don't want to. Yeah. Don't say anything. And he keeps talking. Yeah. Like, I came in a time machine that you invented. Yeah. Um, but then we get to the Ronald Way- uh, Reagan scene because <laughs> he's Marty's trying to prove to Doc like I because Marty at this point has figured out. Okay, I'm. I was in a time machine. Doc made a time machine. I'm in the past now. Right. I'm in 1955. Yes. Because he picks up the newspaper. Yes. Um, and so he's trying to prove to Doc that. 
he's from the future and Doc asks him, well, who's the president in 1985? And, and, and what I love about it is he says it with such confidence. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. <laughs> the actor? The, who was vice president? Jerry, Jerry Lewis? Lewis? Uh, it, yeah, it is. I mean, of all the presidents, it's, it's the perfect one to say because they're not going to believe it. Oh, yeah. he and when he walks by when he gets to lose diner he walks past the movie theater which is showing a Ronald Reagan movie mm-hmm. with Barbara Stanwyck yes that's right I don't remember what movie it was uh, I just saw not, Barbara Stanwyck and Ronald Reagan yeah another um, and, and apparently Ronald Reagan had to have them rewind the movie because he laughed so hard yeah that he was missing all the other yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, and then Marty finally proves to him uh, by telling him about the flux capacitor, which I feel like they made a lot of these names up, didn't they? Well, flux capacitor, yeah. I The whole thing in that scene is what bothers me still to this day is how did they hook up the the camera to the 55 television? You know? That's right, yeah, because they didn't have um, audio video I mean, cables. They? I don't know. <laughs> I, th- know? They, I think they jerry rigged something. I would, I would need to see a, a TV from 1955, and um, also with Doc and his TV, he has two. He has one in his living room and one in his That's garage. Right. Which, um, with <laughs> by his family standards, he's rich. Yeah. Right, and the. In the establishing shot of the house, it's huge. I don't yeah. know what Doc does for a living. I but. know, yeah, because when we see Doc's "quote unquote" house in 1985, it's a garage, right? And that's his. That's his. And that's his um, uh, laboratory. His lab, yeah. Which we do see when he sets up the, um, and he apologizes for the crudeness of which. Yeah. Which I mean, it's perfect, right? I know, yeah, it's not up to scale. Sorry. It's, <laughs> which that's Ashley's favorite. Well. It's her favorite scene in in the scream, which we'll we'll touch oh, on. Yeah. Right? Um, but I think out of all the lines, because the whole movie is very quotable, oh, but absolutely. I would say if I had a gun to my head, favorite line. So he proves to Doc, "I'm from the future." He takes him to the DeLorean where he hid in his uh, future family's uh, subdivision. Yeah, uh, Lion Estate, spelled with a Y. Lion Estate, um, and. Um, you know, Doc is overjoyed that he finally makes something that works and you know, yep. he grabs Marty and he's like, it works. And Marty's, you bet your ass it works. <laughs> uh, I yep. love that line because obviously it worked or Marty wouldn't have been yeah, there. Obviously it worked. Um, and so, uh, so they get it back to the lab, which I don't know how, if Marty couldn't get it to start. Right. I mean, didn't they put it on the back of a truck, or was that just at the at the end where they get it to the town square? It's at the end. Okay, so I, I mean, they might. That. I'm sure they probably did the same thing, probably. but we don't. See, they just drive in in Doc's uh, Chrysler, whatever, whatever he has. Was, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and so then uh, they figure out the plan because Marty, uh, which again another payoff, Marty has the flyer. When yeah. him and Jennifer are interrupted yes. by the, the town conservationist. He trying never to, gets to kiss Jennifer. And, well, then, well, when she writes his, her number down, he gets to kiss her. Oh, that's right. But, yeah, no, that whole scene, you know, they're about to make out. Then they wave in the, save the clock tower. Save it. And then her dad pulls up. Just cock block after cock block. Yeah, absolutely. Poor um, Marty. And so, so Marty's got the, the flyer pretty much saying what happens. Right, yeah. So they've got their plan, but then... 
Marty reveals that he did interact with anyone outside of Doc. And that's when they find out that since he uh, messed up his parents' first meeting, right. he is now being, well, slowly... He's being erased from existence. Which is um, which Bob Gale calls movie logic, not actual logic. Because in, I mean, obviously none of this is in reality. But if in some sort of reality, the entire picture would disappear, right? There yeah. wouldn't be one, one, <laughs> one kid, one by one, right? Yeah. It, it would. It would be the entire picture would disappear. And, yeah. you know, all at once. Oh, yeah. yeah. As soon as he got hit by that car, that picture would have been gone. Yeah, Marty right? would have been gone. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. And so, um, yeah, which that's a – we'll talk about paradoxicals in time travel here in a minute. But Yeah. And so, and so Marty really uh, – so Marty decides to enroll in school. Which, okay, so here's, <laughs> here's what I don't get. Does he actually stay the whole day at school? I because I'd like to think nah, but he know he knows when George isn't there because yeah. when when he um, yeah, that's right when he when he dresses up as uh, Darth Vader <laughs> right from, from the, the planet, planet Vulcan right <laughs> um, he uh, and by the way they couldn't get the whole band to say yes they only got Eddie Van Halen to say yes which is why the tape says Edward Van Halen. Ah. He doesn't say the whole band because they didn't all say yes. Ah, makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. But anyway, um, he knows when he's not at school. So why did he go to school? <laughs> I mean, I, it's so weird, but he well, didn't have to go to school. I know. And then like, you know, so he, he, he talks to George in the hallway. And then the very next scene, he finds him in the cafeteria and he's got books with him. Yeah. So you mean to tell me in the in the, in the the hour that class, he... <laughs> but I will say... I don't know if you, I'm sure you knew this. That sequence has one of my favorite outtakes of any movie ever. So there's a deleted scene <clears throat> of where they're trying to find uh, his mom. They're mm-hmm. trying to find Lorraine. And they find her classroom. And oh, he's yeah. like, they're watching her. And, you know, and another part of again, what you're saying about exposition, Marty says how, like, he thinks his mom was raised a nun because right. she never called a boy or chased a boy or sat in a parked car with a boy. Right. You know, so he thinks his mom is some angel. Yeah. And then when he sees her cheating, yes, he's like, she's cheating. She, she's cheating. It's so great. Yeah. But the outtake is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Uh, did you, have you seen I have it? not seen that. Okay. Now. I'm going to try to paint you a word picture yeah, and try. everyone listening. So they're filming the scene. You hear Bob Zemeckis go and action. Well, Michael J. Fox walks into frame with his fucking docker, well, they look like docker, uh, khakis pulled up to his fucking belly, <laughs> his wife beater on, nice. a hairnet, cigarette in his mouth, and a drawn-on tattoo on his arm. And he's walking like this, like a – I apologize if this offends anyone. He, he's walking like a um, – pretty much like a cholo. Mm-hmm. And he's speaking in a very – very stereotypical, very racist <laughs> accent. And so he gets Doc's attention and he pulls out the cigarette and he goes, Hey, puto! <laughs> He's like, There she is, man. There's the bitch. <laughs> and uh, and so then you see Lorraine cheating. He's like, Shit, man. Son of a bitch, she's cheating, man. <laughs> hey, bitch. And he slams on the door and he's like, no homework for her tonight, man. It is 
fucking hilarious. I have not seen that. That's crazy. It is. I will probably have to show it to you when we're done because oh, it's. Sure. Uh, I gotta see that. Fucking glorious. It's probably my favorite outtake of any movie. I mean, out gags and outtakes are funny, but that is that yep. takes the cake. Anyway, right. So, so Marty's. You know, trying to get uh, George and Lorraine, and that's where we get the famous, you know, I'm your density line, Uh, (laughs) which the more we've talked about Crispin Glover, I feel like he maybe he intentionally fucked it up. I don't know. Oh, no, he had to. Yeah, yeah, because it it shows how nervous he is and it Mm -hmm. shows, right? So, and then we and then we get the also obligatory 1950s, you know, hand slam on the bar, like, give me a milk chocolate and it slides across yeah. the bar it actually it it splashed on loot yes i i resaw that it where is. he he takes a drink and he slams it back down and it shoots up <laughs> and hits lou and he and he, he has to keep acting yeah and so he, he's like he can't react to it but he's like oh yeah yeah you see him kind of like his eye twitched and everything because <laughs> he got his eye God, poor guy um and then that's where we get the famous um skateboard chase scene mm-hmm. which also another one of my favorite scenes where they slide into the manure truck and they all say shit yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when uh, Marty is really uh, you know quite literally digging his grave because yeah Marty is so cool right oh yeah I mean Marty's the coolest he's like Ferris Bueller you know? Yeah. Because Ferris Bueller's the fucking coolest too, right? Oh, yeah. And, but Marty is so cool. It's like, it's so, you're, you're almost glad he's short, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, he's got at least something going for him. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's just the coolest guy. So, I mean, no wonder Lorraine loves him so much. He's the coolest. Oh, yeah. And she said he's a total dreamer. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and uh, and she's gonna find out where he lives, uh, which she does. Which um, it's right before what I was gonna say. We we're gonna touch back on the the uh, the model sequence when oh, they yeah. when you know understand Doc like making a model and like walking through like okay this is what we're doing, but did they really have to do it? <laughs> well, it's one of those scenes where they and they mentioned it in the commentary where it you see it in other movies too, and it's kind of your we're so used to it now that. Um, they lay out the plan mm-hmm. so that when it happens and something goes wrong, you know something goes wrong because you know how the plan's supposed to be because they've explained it to you already. Right. Right. So it's it's exposition for the plan. Gotcha. Right? And this one just happened to catch the, the toy car on fire. And and again, Ashley's favorite scene of him. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so... So they lay out the plan. Lorraine tracks him down and pretty much forces him to take her to the dance. The only scene in all three movies that Leah Thompson has with Christopher Lloyd. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Wow, I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Even even in the third, which I'll touch on when we get to that one. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's got a, that's probably got my second favorite Marty line is when he's you know he's. Walking George through the plan yeah. of what they're gonna do, and and he's like, "All right," and you walk up and you you're lying, George, and he's like, <laughs> "Hey, you get your damn hands off of her!" And then Crispin Glover, and I feel like it was his choice, puts his hand in his pocket, and like, "Really think I should swear?" <laughs> and then this is my second favorite Marty line: "Yes, God damn it, George, swear." <laughs> yeah, it's pretty correct. Um, which, you know, it's so funny to see uh, the son giving the dad advice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is. And they, they again, they mentioned this 
Um, and it's it's a story about a son uh, making his father become a man, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, helping oh, yeah. his father become a man. That's what that's what the story is. Yeah. Um, and so we get to the day of the dance. Um, oh, and, and this whole time, you could tell Marty, uh, the whole movie, Marty's been trying to warn 1950s Doc about what's going to happen oh, yeah, in the 80s. Gunshot stuff, yeah. um, and so he writes him a letter and, you know, tries to sneakily well he does sneakily get it into his jacket yeah. but so we get to the dance the enchantment under the sea dance yeah uh or or as uh winnie joe spencer uh, marty's sister says uh, the fish under under the sea dance yeah, the fish under the sea dance <laughs> um and that's when uh marty really sees that his mom isn't like this perfect you know, girl, she's drinking and smoking in front of him. Yeah. And is okay with sitting in a parked car with a boy. <laughs> she thinks I never, you think I've never parked a car before? Oh, oh that's I know. so gross. Could you imagine your mom telling you that? Oh, God. Um, and then they said that one of the, the things that they loved is that, so, you know, uh, Lorraine attacks Marty, mm. uh, which he did not give consent, by the way. <laughs> I know. In this Me Too era, we <laughs> this is a big problem. And Biff is a major, oh, major player. Oh, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're about to touch on that. But uh, what they loved is that the mom rejects her, rejects the son. And that's how they got out of it. Because they, they were trying to get themselves out of that. And mm-hmm. they happened to come upon the line, it's like kissing my, my brother. brother. And yeah. it's like, whew, you know, <laughs> it's like we got out of it, you know. Because that's a, that's a big hurdle to jump over. Yeah, and then uh, then Biff shows up and throws the plan. Well, one would say he threw the plan out of whack in Marty's eyes. But for us as the audience, he actually helped the plan. Uh, but then he um, tries to, to say it. He tries to rape Lorraine. For sure. Uh, even though I don't think he knows how to do it because, I mean, I don't condone rape. But when you see them in the scene, he's still sitting in the uh, driver's seat. So you're saying he's not very good at it? Yes. I mean, practice makes perfect. Right? <laughs> um, but then George shows up, and and what I love about the scene is, you know, George does what him and Marty agreed on. He slings the door open. Hey, you, get your... And just... And you can... As soon as he sees Biff's face, uh, the sheer just terror, like... Yeah. Shit. Like, maybe I did get the wrong car, but as soon as he sees Lorraine, he knows, like... Right. Okay, I can't. I can't just leave here or stay here and let this happen. Right, exactly. And uh, you know, punches Biff. He knocks him out. Yep. Uh, with his scrawny little fist, which I don't. <laughs> but I mean, knocks him out one hit. Yep. Um, but then George and I think. I feel like they did it just for more uh, drama. George still isn't fully, uh, I wouldn't say into Lorraine, but, you know, they're dancing. But she's like, are you going to kiss me? And he's like, oh, I, I don't know. Well, the poor guy's really nervous. And then that Rick Astley looking guy comes in. Oh, um, uh, yeah, like, and, scram, McFly. Yeah. Yeah. And he has to do it again. <laughs> you know, he has to, you know. <laughs> punch that guy out again well he doesn't punch him out he just he just uh kind of pushes sh- him oh shoves him shoves yeah. his, smooshes his face is that what it yeah is? one of one of the things that i feel like maybe i'm misinterpreted but like you know because they definitely made it seem like georgia was really going to just give up mm-hmm. like okay i'm not going to get lorraine and that's where we get that 
terrible, terrible CGI of, of his of, hand. Of his hand, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, and the last thing we hear before George shows up again is um, Marty calling out to him. So for me, I felt like some cosmic thing was calling out to George that, no, you need to go back. Yeah. Um, and George goes back, Marty's saved, and then uh, decides to play Johnny B. Good. Yeah. Uh, which they said that the reason why Marty did it was because of, like, a celebration. Like, the plan succeeded. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was until, you know, he cuts it under the wire trying to get back to the time machine. Um, worth it. But, uh, completely worth it. Yeah, but I love all the different styles of uh, rock and roll that they go through. Yeah. And, you know, like... Uh, it even does the Chuck Berry uh, duck walk thing. Yeah. yeah. And the Jimi Hendrix and... Um, I can't think of the guy the, who would do the... Duh. Oh, it's um, Pete Townsend. Yes. I just... And, and what I learned is I, I always knew that um, Michael J. Fox actually played the guitar, yeah. but I knew it wasn't him singing. No, it wasn't him singing. But I did just recently learn that he finger-synced the guitar. So he was... So it's hard to explain. He was playing, yeah. but he wasn't actually playing. Right. He wasn't playing live. Right, because it needs to... The shots need to meld together, and it's the music that connects all the shots, and mm-hmm. it needs to be... It needs to be fluid. It needs to be the same, right? right. You can't cut from... Right, it wouldn't work. So, yeah, right. no, I completely get it. Yeah, so, um, so anyways, Marty shocks everyone with the, with the now famous line of, uh, I guess you guys weren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. Yeah. Uh, cuts it under the wire, gets back to the time machine, um, and then just another crisis after another crisis. Oh. Uh, Doc finds the letter, rips it up, and then a tree branch falls, disconnecting is, the cable. It is said to be the tensest scene in all of movies, but... Um, and here's another subtle change. So we talked about the Twin Pine Mall. That's going to change. Yes. Right? Another thing that'll change, it will stay changed throughout the sequels, is when Doc breaks the ledge. Oh. I've, it stays broken. I never noticed that. Yeah. So the, the ledge will remain broken through the entire you know, sequels as well. Right. Um, so, you know, under the gun, Marty makes it back, which uh, he doesn't tell Doc, but he goes back, but 20 minutes earlier. Right. To try to... So you can try to beat the Libyans. Oh, the Libyans, yeah. Uh, which I would say is flawed because, you know, Marty makes it back uh, and he has plenty of time, mm-hmm. but it's flawed because, yeah, he can go back and warn Doc... But I don't think he realizes that there'll be another version of him there. Right. Um, and so, but anyway, so he hauls ass to the mall, Lone Pine Mall now. Lone Pine. Which uh, we didn't mention, uh, he ran over Old Man Peabody's pine. Yeah. <laughs> you spaceman, you killed my pine. Yeah. Um, sees Doc die, but then sees himself go back. Right. <clears throat> uh, tries to save Doc is alive. He thinks he's dead. Uh, Doc's not dead, which. Ashley told me not to question it. That's not how bulletproof vests work. Um, it stopped the bullet, didn't it? Well, but with an AK that close. Like, oh, and by the way, the AK jams. Uh, that yeah. is um, also not very accurate. AK-47s don't jam. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, famously, they don't jam. Yeah. So. And then, um, and then, you know, come to find out, he Doc had taped the letter back together. Yeah. And Marty's like, you know, what about all that stuff? You know, disrupting the time, you know, the time continuum. 
And I love Doc's line. Just uh, I thought, what the hell? You know, um, they got a letter from a um, a boy in Japan who noticed that there was one word at the end of the line uh, in the letter. Uh-huh. Um, and when it was ripped up and taped back together, it was in the beginning of the line. Um, so obviously they're two different letters, right? And <laughs> from a boy who doesn't even speak English, uh, noticed that that little continuity error of the, oh, of the very line. Very nice. Could you imagine? Oh, God. People are just, it's a movie. You know? Yeah. Um, and so Doc decides he's going to go 30 years into the future, drops Marty off at home, and then Marty sees everything that changes. So let's talk about the changes. Yes. So the changes are are so 80s. Yes, so that's exactly what Robert Zemeckis said. They're they're all monetary gains. Like yes. they're like they're they're more affluent, they have more stuff, therefore they're better off, you know. Yes. It's so 80s. Yeah. Dave isn't working at a McDonald's. Yeah. He I always wear a suit to the office. Always. Uh his sister is you know, eating healthier, which and, I mean, and slamming some dudes named Greg and Craig. Good for I, them. I know. Uh, and hip, George and Lorraine look fantastic. Yeah, they look a lot better. And they're happy. And George has a best-selling novel. Did all okay, right? Did you? Did they talk about when you watched the the things how hard it was to get Crispin to wear that wardrobe? No, they said it was the hardest thing they had to do. Really? He wanted to be wearing a sleeveless t-shirt and like sweatpants or something <laughs> for, for them coming back from playing yeah, tennis I guess. yeah and i mean that would kind of make sense you know who would come who, who comes back from playing tennis in a blazer but George McFly. but i mean they just said it wouldn't fit for the character you need to wear this and it apparently was the hardest thing it was oh the biggest God. argument they had with really? Crispin oh, was that's, that wardrobe it's so um, and then we see biff is uh you know has his own business of a detailing shop. Yeah. And he's scared of George still. You know, don't con me. Don't like, con oh, me. That's what I'm at. I just, I just started the second code is what I meant. <laughs> so they got a lot of questions before the sequels came out uh, saying, it, is Biff gay now? <laughs> that, uh, after Really? Yeah. And they're like, well, we would have said maybe until the sequels came out. And then it's like, no, he's not. No. Um, and then, you know, Marty got the, uh, the four by four of his dreams and, uh, Which we see in the in the, the beginning, beginning of the movie, yeah, right? right? It's, it, yeah, it's we, another setup and payoff. Yeah, and then um, and then you know Jennifer shows up and Doc shows up and is like, you know, so who's going to be done about your kids? So that again, a joke, right? Mm-hmm. This all that ending is the joke, and the main reason they say, you know, we would have never put the girl in the car if we thought to do more. Yeah. Right, and which is why she gets knocked out immediately in the in the sequel. Yeah, right? which will they, yeah they need to get rid of her because they again, like they said, it's like well, if we had planned on doing a sequel, we never would have put her in the car. Which uh, I read somewhere that they had originally never planned a sequel. That no. it was it was just supposed to be another adventure that our heroes are going off on another adventure, right. and that's it. Right. Um, and so that's pretty much we just pretty much gisted the entire movie. Uh, now you really wanted to talk about um, uh, the, a, a lot of the time paradoxes. Yeah, that I mean, because this one it doesn't touch on it really, and the reason why they wanted the the DeLorean not to start again 
mm-hmm. was so they wouldn't have to have two DeLoreans in the shot because uh, it would have sense. to be, right? Right. Because uh, it's that duplication rule that, you know, if you've already been there, you're, you're still there, right? Right. Which is a big deal in the second one. And we'll talk about Carl Sagan and him loving that. Anyway. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things that maybe I... Um, I, th- I think Ashley told me this is the one I was kind of thinking too much on. But so, you know, Marty, you know, at the end of the movie, he makes it back to Lone Pine Mall mm-hmm. and he sees himself go back into the past. And, you know, for me, if I were to see that, like, in my mind, is it so now the cycle is starting over again? And does, like, this present Marty take that Marty's place now? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's again. These aren't these aren't bad questions. These no, are just, right. Um, <laughs> uh, these are just really difficult, complicated, head hurting time travel problems. Right. Well, see, and that's why I love time travel movies is that it it makes you think. Have you ever seen the movie Predestination? No. With oh, dude, <laughs> with Ethan Hawke. Oh God! Holy cow! We could do a whole episode on predestination. All right, uh, that one is the bootstrap paradox, which is which is oh, completely insane. Oh, I uh, yeah, yeah yeah I know about that one. Um, you're gonna hate me, but uh, there's a whole Doctor Who episode, a two part Doctor Who episode, all about the bootstrap the bootstrap uh, you're paradox. Right. I do hate you for that. <laughs> this is not a Doctor Who episode. One of your one of your nerdy friends would be on that episode. I uh, <laughs> I am on the Back to the Future episode. <laughs> um, but no, I know about the bootstrap paradox that something. Because the easiest way for me to understand it is how they worded it in the Doctor episode is that, like, you know, say there's this time traveler who loves the music of Mozart. Mm-hmm. And so he decides to travel back to meet his hero. But when he gets there, no one's ever heard of Mozart. Mm-hmm. But luckily, the time traveler still has all the original compositions. And so he gets them published and he becomes Mozart. Mm-hmm. But if he's Mozart, then who wrote the original compositions? Right. So it's it's um, and it. You know, they're talking things. They're talking about things that don't have any discernible origin. Right. They, they were never created because they needed to be created by the cre- right. Exactly. It's very confusing. It, it hurts my head, and it's this. It's the snake eating itself. It's you know this this loop. Yeah, um, and so that's what I you know, think. You know, so you know, so he sees himself go back. Marty sees himself go back to the past, and so like, does that. You know, and I feel like Rick and Morty kind of answered that because, you know, Rick and Morty is roughly very, 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 very loosely based (laughs) on Back to the Future. You know, crazy old man and a impressionable young kid. Yeah, except Um, there's no way Morty is half as cool as Marty McFly will ever be. No. All right, Marty McFly is the coolest person on the planet. Yes. Um, But, you know, in the episode where they turn... uh, Everyone in a Cronenberg. Oh, Cronenberg, yeah. Uh, you know, Rick finds them in an alternate reality where they die. So does that mean, you know, Marty obviously doesn't die when he goes to the past, but does that mean the present Marty, who's now back from the past, take over that Marty's life, though? Yes. And only because, um, because he, it, it's the one who went in the first place. So. But, so the, but that means then that one who went back is going to start that cycle over. He's going to end up, and it's just going to be... I know be- what you're saying, and I get it, <laughs> and I can't answer that question. Okay? I'm not a theoretical physicist. I can't tell you that. You mean to tell me you're not Brian May from Queen? No. 
No, I'm not Brian May from Queen. I don't have the hair for it. <laughs> um, and there's other paradoxes like the predestination paradox, which this one doesn't count and only because... Um, so with the predestination paradox, it's they go back in time to stop something, yet their actions make it happen, right? Like it was it was already predetermined to happen. Okay. Um, so let's say you go back to stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Right. And it's not written by Stephen King, so it's <laughs> which is eleven twenty two sixty three. It's right. one of his great novels. Anyway. Um you go back to stop the assassination of JFK. However, while you're there, you end up, I don't know, setting in motion the events that end up getting him assassinated, right? Okay. So that's like the predestin that's the predestination so, paradox. Uh, kind of like a like a um I haven't seen the original uh time machine movie. I've seen the one with Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Yeah. But, but kind of the same concept where he kept trying to save his his fiance. But every time he saved her, something happened to kill her. Right. Okay. So he kept putting those at, it, That's kind of the same thing. Right? Yeah. And there's also the grandfather paradox, which everyone's familiar, or at least most people are familiar with. If you go back in time and you kill your grandfather, you don't exist to go back in time. So you're essentially stuck there? Or, or, you, or never you just existed. don't exist? In period. Okay. Here's my favorite. And while... <laughs> here's one of my favorites, but while... <laughs> Um, and you'll love this while um, doing my research it is named after a Doctor Who episode yes yes it's called the let's kill Hitler paradox oh dude the let's okay okay, continue because if if you let me talk I'm going to go off about the uh, whole episode (laughs) it's similar to the grandfather paradox but if you go back in time to to kill Hitler you will have no longer had a reason to go back in time therefore you you know, did you didn't go back in time? It's it's really complicated. So and so so essentially, like if we were to go back and kill Hitler, that version of us would be erased because there would be no reason for us to go back and do it in the first place. Yep. Ah. Yeah, it's really complicated. I got all this from astronomytrek.com, by the way. Is <laughs> where I need to give him a shout out because I just I wrote down verbatim. Might have to uh, put that in the description as well. With it, yeah, because I mean it was it was tons of fun to read about these paradoxes. I couldn't find the one that they talk about in the commentary for the duplication. Uh, which we'll talk about in part, uh, in part two. two. Yeah, um, like having like the 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 two, the 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 two of you, yeah. two of me is yeah. right. Yeah, that's um, I don't know the term for it, but it's like a. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that that one hurts my brain. Like other other time travel stuff, they all hurt your brain. That's why they're paradoxes. They well, all hurt your brain. I, I, uh, I. It doesn't hurt my brain that much. Like, I like talking about paradoxes. Like, because, I don't know. Man, then we need to do predestination. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> crazy. All right? Those of you who are listening that have seen predestination, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to make him do an episode on it. We'll do an episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, so kind of, you know, we've, 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 uh, you know, talked about the production and we've talked about the movie itself and the paradoxes. I kind of want to go back to, the production side of it again and to, to to kind of put a bow on this you know to kind of bring it all full circle again sure. yeah. um do you know how long it was before uh the movie was in theaters after they wrapped in 1985 
No. It was in theaters four weeks later. Really? Yes. Wow. Universal was so 100% certain that they had the best movie. Um, They wanted it in theaters for 4th of July. That's really fast. Uh, Well, and they also had to do a preview. uh, Mm, Now I heard about the preview. uh, They talked about that. Like two weeks later, Mm -hmm. as soon as they were done, as soon as it was edited, preview. Yeah. One of the previews, the... The end where the DeLorean is flying off into the sky was still in black and white. Really? Yeah. It wasn't even fully edited yet. Wow. That's crazy. Kind of like what Disney used to do when they would promote a cartoon. A lot of it wasn't done, so they just showed the drawings. Do you remember that? No, not really. Really? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, like in... um like they do it for Hercules, they did it for Hunchback, they did it for Pocahontas, Mm -hmm. and they weren't done yet. Obviously, because it takes a long time. Yeah. But, yes, I remember that. I but remember. they showed what they had. Yes. Right? yes. So that's essentially what it was. Yeah, and um, and something I felt that was kind of uh, not really funny to learn, but uh, you know, Michael J. Fox thought his performance was terrible. Yeah. Um, because of the the insane schedule. Of he was probably delirious the entire time. Yeah, uh, Ashley loved it because uh, when we were watching the special features, he said like I didn't even know what I was doing towards the end of it. I was like <laughs> I didn't even know what was going on, uh, which you know it sucks to hear that. But yep. I mean, you know, well it's like Frankie Muniz. You know, he doesn't remember shooting Malcolm in the Middle. So. Oh my god! Well, let's see. <laughs> but of all his TBIs. Well, yeah, uh, but and I think that's just so crazy that the star of the movie was con- like, he didn't think the movie itself was going to be bad. He, he, he said like, I knew this movie was going to be good. He was like, I personally thought that I was terrible. It's just his uncertainty about his performance because he doesn't, he wasn't, you know, fully cognizant. Yeah. You know, Cause yeah. he was so sleep deprived. Poor guy. Yeah. He said, he said it didn't really hit him until he came back from London. Cause uh, I guess they filmed an episode of family ties in London. Yes, they did. They did a whole season in London. Um, and his agent calls him and he's like, it is blowing up over here. And he's yeah. just like, oh, wow. I'm... He wasn't available for the press tour. Yeah. So he didn't really know what was going on until people had to tell him. Yeah. And, Dude, and this thing is gigantic. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. But like he, he said in the interview, he's like, yeah, he was like, I was telling my agent, like, yeah, I'm sorry. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll do better next time. And his agent was like, you don't understand. <laughs> And he did, yeah. He didn't really realize until he got back, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, like this, this is, is uh, huge. people love this, yeah." Um, Which is how it got sequels because they, yeah, it was such a. And I wrote it down. It, was, it wasn't so much that it was successful, but it was like a corporation. Yes, and and you know they're just like you know we need more of these. Yeah, and that's and that's something else I want to touch on is. Um, I mentioned it earlier. It's genre. I feel like it's a meld of action, adventure, comedy. Um, I wouldn't say thriller necessarily, but suspense. Yeah, you know, sci-fi. Sci-fi definitely, and and it it balances everything so well. Oh, and even period piece. Oh, yeah, that's true. So we'll... All right. So hang on. Let me look at the copyright data of this before I say anything. (laughs) Uh, So I found this novel uh, at a bookstore. Um, in Odessa, in Odessa, Texas. All right. For those of you who are listening who aren't in Texas right now, <laughs> um, the copyright on this thing 
It says 85. That can't be right. They would have done it right afterward. Um, maybe they did. Uh, this thing does say 1985. Um, I have a novelization of the film Back to the Future um, by George Gipe or Gippy. Uh, G-I-P-E um, I don't think he cares now I'm sure not you know he's got that he's got that Back to the Future novel money he don't care how I pronounce his name yeah um, and he's so much fun to look at because you just you you pick a page and you know exactly where they are this one mentions the Essex Theater you know what I mean on this mm-hmm. page um, you get to chapter 8 um, and he is in 1955 at Doc Brown's house. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's, it's super fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know, for people who have seen the movie, multiple viewings, you know, like us, who could sit there and read it, wouldn't, can you know, with books, you know, you have to imagine everything. But if you've seen Back to the Future and you're reading the book, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know what's going yeah, on. Like, yeah, it, it almost takes fun out of reading it. But I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, for, it's for your friends who hate movies and you really want to show them the story, hand them this. Uh, this is not the only novelization of a movie I have. I also have Rocky. Oh God, which is, which is significantly smaller. It's like it's well, like half the size. Half of it is just them punching. It, right. It's it's fight scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you told me that you wanted to talk about this, and and I, I have a feeling we'll we'll talk about it in part two. Is the poster for the movie Drew Struzan, my man, uh, who has uh, done uh, pretty much every poster that you've probably seen for. Uh, all the Star Wars movies, um, Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. He did all three Back to the Future movies. Yep. Um, and and even the poster design. So for Back to the Future, it's Marty. Mm-hmm. And one leg in the DeLorean. One leg in the DeLorean, right? For two, it's Marty and Doc, Doc yeah. in the door. And then in three, it's, it's Marty, Marty Doc, Doc, and Mary Steenburgen. Right, so we have... One, two, and three, right? Yes. So even the, the poster design is so brilliant. And I just, I love Drew Struzan so much. They're all paintings, right? All hand-painted. Yeah, that blew Ashley away when I told her. I was like, yeah, did you know that was drawn? And she yeah. was like, it was? Yeah. Uh, because Drew, he yeah, yeah. did such a good job. It, I mean, and it looks exactly like Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I always love the image of him, you know, looking at his watch like... Yeah. Uh, with 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 his, his uh, like slated aviator glasses, like yeah, uh, I love that so much. And I think and I think you know when you say Back to the Future, that's what everyone goes to. Like, oh yeah, that you know, right? Um, it, the image is burned in their brains. Oh yeah, because it's it's such a you know I don't I don't usually use describe movies like this. You know, I love movies. I think they're great movies. Um, I use fantastic, but Back to the Future is a perfect movie, inside and out. You know, um, you know, we we discuss the writing. You know, the writing is so solid. Like you said, that you know, a lot of people hate exposition. I know in certain movies, I hate it. Oh yeah, for sure. Just there's, get on with it. There's really good movies. With really bad exposition in it. And oh, yeah. you just gotta grit your teeth for that second or two, and then it's over. Oh yeah. But with Back to the Future, when you're watching them just sitting and talking like in like at the beginning of the movie, when Marty's sitting to dinner with his parents mm-hmm. and they're just talking, you're not bored by it. You're right. actually like, wow, okay, like so this is what his home life is like, and um there's so many funny scenes in the movie too. Yeah. 
Um, like, uh, I'm trying to think of another really funny scene that, like, makes me laugh every time. Uh, probably, um, oh man, it's gonna, you might need to say something so I can sit here and think. Okay. Um, <laughs> here's a, here's a fun little thing while he's thinking, um, that Christopher Lloyd had to hunch over. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I knew about that. Because, and that became his signature. Yeah. Because he's so much taller than Michael J. Fox and they needed them in the same frame, you know? Mm-hmm. So he, he would hunch over all the time. When he was um, when he was with Marty, also um, when they're thinking about something, they would always switch back and forth in the in the in the space. Okay. You know, in the three dimensional space, they would they would walk back and forth and past each other, and one would be talking, they'd be in the foreground, the other be in the background, then they'd switch. They do this all the time. They do it throughout the series. Um, throughout two and three when they're trying to figure something out and they're they're worried about something and they're you know it's a really good use of the space and it was all Robert Zemeckis's idea really uh, to have them to have them do that go back and forth like that oh so I couldn't think of a, a specific scene but it's a line and it's and it's also a very famous line Biff's uh, misuse of make like a tree it's it will always be funny so why don't you make like a tree and get out and of get here. Get out of it. It's so good. And and that's a good payoff that they weren't planning when they bring it back in part two. Right. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of people that um, that say that they can see Marty in the background of part one. And it's just not true. Right. No. From part from part two. They say they can see him. And it's like they can't. No, because they can, they, yeah. The sequel wasn't a thing yet. But yeah, the only scenes that they reshot for two, which I guess this is a little little foreshadowing of when we get Think to part of it two as the trailer at the end of two for three um, is they had to reshoot the entire dance sequence and they had to reshoot um, the scene right after Biff gets punched by George in the beginning the, because they didn't have what's her facing where they had Elizabeth shoot so they had to do oh, all yeah, of well, that yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that yeah yeah but yeah but, so that's I know, but it's very funny, and and they kind of the the creators get a kick out of it because they're just like I mean, yeah. whatever. Man. If <laughs> if you're listening and you're one of those few who think you can see Marty in part one, what are you smoking? Because I mean, I don't know. Maybe I need to do it so I can see what you're seeing. But yeah, maybe yeah, it I seems don't know. like it's a lot more fun of a movie. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fun movie already. But I mean, to yeah, oh yeah, to see Marty from part two and part in part one, what? All right, yeah, hand it over. Yeah, oh yeah. All right, should we um, should we sign off and? Um, I believe so. Save uh, the next week?